Good morning, church. I want to add my thanks to you for, for being here today. It is a joy to gather together to sing and to open God's Word. So we're going to do that again. Please open with me to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 13 and the first 23 verses. Last week we started a, a new series in which we're exploring some of Jesus' parables in Matthew 13. And um, in these parables, Jesus tells us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in particular, how it operates now and applies to us as citizens of that kingdom. We live as citizens of the kingdom of God. We love and worship and follow our King. Last week we considered what it means that even as we live now in this world with our lives rooted in Hillcrest and in the surrounding areas, as we go about our everyday jobs and our studies, as we build our families and meet with friends, we know even so that our allegiance is not to the world but to the kingdom of our God and that we are strangers here. We want to study these parables so that, as Jesus put it in, at the end of Matthew 13, in verses 51 and 52, we would be scribes trained for the kingdom, ready to bring out our treasures, the, the truth of his kingdom and the people, for the people in our lives. Indeed, the story of the growth of the kingdom in the first centuries is the story of ordinary, weak people who were just devoted to their king and through whom his spirit moved in power. It wasn't their greatness. It was a great God using their weakness and love. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, he says, in jars of clay, in fragile, breakable jars to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So as we explore this first parable, it is a famous parable, the parable of the sower. Jesus reveals really an amazing truth. The kingdom of heaven is not about the, the building or the toppling of political powers. It's about the quiet transformation of human hearts. Let's read together Matthew 13, 1 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their heart, and understand, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray. Lord God, as we approach your word, and as the word of the kingdom is sown today, Father, we ask for ears to hear. We ask for eyes to see. We ask for hearts to understand what you have to say to us. We want to hear the message of our King. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. The parable of the sower is going to ask some questions of our hearts today, some kingdom questions. Now, it doesn't begin like many of the other parables in Matthew chapter 13. Other parables begin in this way, where Jesus says, And the kingdom of heaven is like. But it is still a parable of the kingdom. It is about the word of God, what that word does, and how we are to respond to it. And in verse 19, Jesus calls this word, this seed sown, the word of the kingdom. It is the message of the king. And the soil upon which it falls represents the hearts of the hearers. The message of the kingdom is simply this. The king has come. This is Jesus' world. He will rule and he will reign in it. And though we have rebelled against him, the king is calling rebels to come to him and to repent. The king is also the savior who laid down his life on the cross. And those who trust in him, who repent of their sins, will be reunited to the rightful king. And in this way, his kingdom will grow. The word of the kingdom is the message of the gospel. And so the question being asked of you and of me today in the, this farming picture with four soils is simply this. How is your heart before the king? How is your heart before him? Is it like soft, fertile soil, receptive to his word, to his message? 
We're going to consider the explanation of the four soils as this parable takes aim at us today. But before we get there, I want to show something that Jesus says about parables, how they work, why he uses them, that will serve us throughout this series. So our first heading for today, the disciples question, why teach in parables? Why teach in parables? Last week I mentioned the story in Luke chapter 4 of the, that beginning point in Jesus' ministry. He comes to his hometown and he goes into the synagogue and he, he stands up, he takes from the scroll of Isaiah, he gets ready to speak and he reads through this passage in Isaiah 61, a passage connected to the expectation of the coming Messiah and of the reign of the Messiah. And he says to them after he's read, today that scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he sits down. And after a little while, people begin to say, isn't this the carpenter's son? We know who you are. We saw you grow up. You mean to tell us that you are the one? Where is your army? You don't even have a sword on you. And he says in verses 24 to 27, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. He's saying, You're probably, you probably won't accept me, it's not really for you. It's for foreign widows and Syrians. He's changing the narrative of kingdom that they held to. He's saying to them, I have come not for the healthy, but for the sick. And it's like a switch is flipped for these people. They drag him out of the town. They try to throw him off a cliff. And you know the story. He simply passes through their midst and walks away. He may not look like much, but the power of eternal God was in their midst. Jesus' ministry and teaching it was intended to subvert the false ideas that they had about power and about their standing before God. And we must understand that as we come to these parables. They are often parables thought of as you know, touching stories that are meant to inspire. Or Jesus, you know, just finding everyday ways of, of, of teaching quaint moral lessons to his hearers like helpful little fables that you can tell to your children. So some will say, why can't, you know, why can't preachers be taught in seminary to, to do like Jesus did, to, to tell good stories that would draw the crowds? Now, as this chapter opens, you might be mistaken if you think along those lines. In Matthew 13, verse 1 to 3, it says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. He's trying to get a breather. And the great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. See, see how he draws the crowds and teaches them these stories that they can comprehend to help their lives. No. Now Jesus was a master at taking what was familiar in order to draw people in. And indeed, with this parable, he shares something that they would have been keenly familiar with, this 
this farmer who goes out and sows seed and how it grows in some soils but not in other soils. But then after presenting this parable, this picture of the farmer, what does he say to them simply? It's the last line he says to them. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Imagine that was it. I shared a story with you and I said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and people are scratching their heads a little bit. The disciples themselves are puzzled. They pull Jesus aside in verse 10 and they say, why? Why do you speak to them in parables? What's going on, Jesus? If you want to keep the crowds, this isn't how you do it. Uh, remember that, that great sermon that you preached, that one on the mountain. Why not go back to that? That was great. And Jesus says to them in verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not. Verse 13, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he quotes from the book of Isaiah. And he says, Isaiah's ministry speaking to dull and rebellious hearts, and those, those hearts even being hardened while Isaiah speaks, that is fulfilled in Jesus' own ministry. So the parables are not safe. They are not quaint little moral fables. There is a moment of danger for you here today, a moment of great danger. It is possible that even while the seed is sown, even while I preach, you would still harden your heart to the message and it would be hardened even further. Jesus' parables were meant to draw people in and for those to whom it was given, Jesus' word would impact with great power. But to those to whom it wasn't given, his word would harden. They would be repelled by him and repulsed some even infuriated at the way that he taught. Parables have been defined as earthly stories with a, a heavenly meaning, and that's true, but what more than that, what Jesus is doing is he's taking hold of the heavenly reality that's at the center of kingdom living, and he's dragging it down into the realm of the everyday, and he places it there before their eyes, and it's meant to subversively confront them, confront us with the reality of the, the shallowness of the way that we live our lives. Jared Wilson, in a book entitled The, the Storytelling God, says this, when we read the parables he employed throughout his ministry, we could do a lot worse than to see them as narrative portraits of rebellion against rebellion. The rightful king has landed, and he is leading an insurrection against the pretenders to his throne. I think that's a good definition. A rebellion against rebellion. You and I, we are the pretenders to the throne. And the king is saying, he is calling us today, lay down your arms, bow your heart before me. These are not cute stories. They're subversive. They're antagonistic to our ideas of power and control and who sits on the throne and what matters in life. B.B. Scott said, Jesus uses parables to reorder the kingdom of, uh, reorder the idea of greatness and power and strength and success in a kingdom that is nothing like the kingdoms of this world. Parables are meant to get to the heart. Have you heard the story uh, from the World War II of the, the dam busters? Those, um, the, the RAF uh, raid on 
on German dams that were thought to be central to their war production. These planes were uh, to fly dangerously low as they approached these dams to drop bombs. They were to fly under the radar and drop these bombs that were designed to explode near the base of that wall. They had to fly in the middle of the night. It was a, a very dangerous operation. And these bombs were drum-shaped bombs because there were nets protecting the, those dams in the dam. The, the bombs were meant, as they dropped, to be able to skip over the water as they approached the wall and then sink by the wall. And then at a certain pressure, those bombs would go off at the base of the wall and damage would be greatest there. And that's what the parables of Jesus are designed to do. They fly under the, the radar. They draw you into the, the shocking ordinariness and the everydayness of the kingdom. And then they drop the bomb, a bomb that would sink down into your heart and explode into life for the one who has an ear to hear. That's my hope for the series. It's my hope for today. So let us unpack this parable, the four soils together. It's one that comes with an explanation given. Most of the hard work has already been done because Jesus goes on in verses 18 to 23 to describe or explain its meaning. But as we look at his explanation, understand that even as he explains it, it's possible for you, for your heart to be hot, for the seed not to sink in, for you not to understand. May that not be you this morning. Four soils, four hearts. Let's look at the first heart, the impervious heart. The impervious heart. In the parable, the farmer goes out to sow seed and he scatters it everywhere knowing that not all the soil is the same. And some of that seed will fall on the paths that run around and through the unfenced fields, these paths where many feet have compacted the soil, hardened the soil, so that when the seed drops on the soil, it, it cannot find purchase. It just sits on top. And while the farmer goes on sowing, even so, the birds come and devour that seed and take it away. Jesus says in verse 18 and 19, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The story is told of William Wilberforce, the great crusader for the abolition of slavery in England. And one day he brought a, a non-Christian friend. His name was William Pitt. He'd gone to become the prime minister of England. He brought him to a, a service at which... Um, Richard Cecil was preaching, and he was known as one of the greatest evangelistic preachers in London of that time. And on this occasion, uh, Richard Cecil was at his best as he proclaimed the gospel eloquently and passionately and uh, articulately. He preached the gospel, and Wilberforce was hanging on his every word. He was soaking the words in and all the while wondering, I wonder what's going on in the heart of my friend. How is he responding to so powerful a presentation of the gospel, the glory of Christ? And eagerly after the service, he awaited the, uh, Pitt's verdict on what happened. And William Pitt turned to him and said, You know, Wilberforce, I haven't the slightest idea what that man was talking about. Richard Cecil was a mighty preacher. And the message was clear. William Pitt was a brilliant man, a political genius, but the word could not find place in his heart. Week in and week out, the seed of the word is sown into the hearts of millions around the world, and for some, it will have no effect. 
No effect except maybe even to harden their hearts further as the sower adds his feet to the path. They may hear a few interesting or entertaining stories, some thoughts that are detached from their lives, but all the while the preacher speaks, outside the birds are circling overhead, above the church roof. Before the person has even made it to his or her car, they come and snatch, the enemy snatches the word away. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of penetration. The word cannot get to the heart. And they don't want it to. They don't want it to reach the heart. If you want a modern phrase for the impervious heart, it's the in one, out, in one ear and out the other kind of person. Now, incidentally, I was running through, again with Sheree this week, running through some of the things of the sermon, trying to form some ideas to Uh, formulate my sermon and I was speaking about the heart and speaking about this impervious heart and I was speaking to her for two or three minutes before she stopped me and said, does it apply to me if during the entire time you've been saying these things to me, running through this, I've been thinking of what to make for lunch? And I said, yes, your heart is hard. And it's possible that even as I speak, that all you have on your mind is what you're going to have for lunch. (laughs) <laughs> I might not. Yeah. I may be boring at times, but when the word of the kingdom is faithfully sown, it will find place in the hearts of some, no matter the skill of the sower, and it will bounce off the hearts of others. Jesus is encouraging us. He's encouraging us in our mission as well. One of the points of this is that the problem is not with the seed. And it's not with the sower, it's with the heart. We get into trouble when we start thinking maybe we need to change the seed in order to reach a modern audience. Modern people don't want to hear negative messages. They don't want to hear about sin and repentance. They certainly don't want to hear about hell. They don't want to hear hear things like Jesus is the only way to salvation. They want to hear positive messages. We get into trouble when we think like that. The problem is not with the seed. Neither is it with the skill of the sower in this parable. Not that some people don't have great evangelistic gifting and not that we ought not to study hard and to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. But so many people never sow any seed because they are afraid that they will just bumble it or they're not intelligent enough or they don't have all the answers. You don't need to be a great sower to sow seed. And I stand in the pulpit with confidence knowing this. While you may be here today having no intention of having your mind change, no intention of having your heart broken up or your lifestyle being laid bare before God, you may have come with no intention of any conviction turning your world upside down. The soil of your heart can be the hardest gravel path, but still the Holy Spirit is here, and I know even now He can give the heart of repentance. He can break the hardest heart that resists the Father's love, the love of a dying Savior. In fact, only He can. Church, only He can do it. It's so simple. Every time I climb these steps, my prayer is simple. Spirit, take my weakness and show them Christ. Let them see His beauty. Let them see His glory. Let them know His love. 
You shouldn't let anybody climb these steps without pouring, him, pouring that prayer over him as well. And you can take that prayer. You can take it into the world. Holy Spirit, use my weakness and make me brave. Show them Christ. It's the impervious heart. Number two, we see the fair weather heart. The fair weather heart. As the sower continues to scatter, there are parts of the field that, that look fine on the, on the surface, but beneath the soil, the, the bedrock rises too high. There's inadequate soil depth. As the rains come, the soil is warmed up and, and the seed sprouts quickly, promising the best of harvests. But then the, the, re- the relentless sun continues to pound and it gets hotter and hotter And deep roots are required when the sun is beating down on you. But the roots of this plant don't go past that rocky layer. They can't get deep enough to reach water. And the hot sun withers the plant and it dies. Verse 20 and 21, As for it was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. What I find really amazing about what Jesus says there is he says that he receives the word with joy. He receives it with joy. And you say, "Isn't, isn't that the response of a Christian? And this is what's scary here. That it is possible to be unconverted and still to delight in the message heard. To still delight in the preaching of the word. This is the person who is genuinely intrigued by the good news of Jesus and who seems to embrace it. Whenever the church doors are open, there she is. And he seems to be making such great strides in the faith. He's an encouragement to all around. But then conditions in the Christian life become adverse. Opposition begins to arise, tribulation or persecution. Her social life takes a knock. The cost of living openly for Christ in the workplace becomes too much to bear. And the implications for putting Christ first in life on your wallet, your time, on your choices, they become too radical and the enthusiasm begins to fade. The roots are shallow. The depth that that is needed that would reach down in difficult days and drink from the Word of God, it's just not there. And it doesn't lead to perseverance. They wither and they fall away and they prove that they were only ever fair-weather friends of Jesus. Some people love the Word of the Kingdom until it actually requires of them suffering, sacrifice, or real surrender to the king. You can love the sermon. You can receive the sermon joyfully, but if it's only ever joy and nothing else, if it's never true repentance that comes from the deep furrows of the Spirit's plow, it won't bear fruit. If there's never sorrow for sin, your roots won't go deep enough when the sun is hot. And unfortunately, how will you know if this is you? Only through trial. Only through suffering. We are given suffering for the testing of our faith. And when the sun is hot, it will draw a response from us. Some will begin to turn away and be bitter towards God. And others, though they languish under the heat of the sun, will not drift. They will seek shade under His wings. 
As we saw last week in Psalm 84, they will dig out blessings in the valley of Baca. They will find in Christ a treasure worth suffering for. Number three, we see the stifled heart. Some of the scattered seed falls on the edges of the cultivated land. And after the rain comes, that seed does sprout into a plant and it begins to grow. But these plants, they have to compete for nourishment with wild and hardier thorn bushes on the edges. They are gradually choked out and they die. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. David Strain in a sermon on this passage says this, Spiritual aspirations can be terribly intangible and vague and ill-defined, can't they? Compared to the concrete, pressing need right now to maintain my lifestyle. It is easy to become bogged down in the cares of the world. And maybe we are maxing out our credit cards because there's things that we won't live without. And jobs consume our thoughts and our emotional energy because we are chasing a certain lifestyle. We live for our recreations. We center our lives on social interactions or the, the sporting ambitions of our children. And church attendance and service in the kingdom, the mission of God, they fall lower and lower down on our list of priorities. Slowly, sometimes without even realizing it, the cares of the world have consumed us. The thorns that choke as well, that choke the plant, are those things that when the truth comes out, matter more to us, uh, matter more than Christ to us. A young person who chooses to be unequally yoked to another because romance and the excitement of being desired is better than Christ. How is your heart today? Is it too cluttered for the word planted to grow? Do you need to cry out to Christ? Christ, plow the edges of your field. Tear up and destroy the thorn that waits there for me. What soil does the word find in your heart? It doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be shallow. It doesn't have to be cluttered with thorns. There is a fourth option the receptive heart. The receptive heart. Despite all the, the seed that falls on bad soil, the sower is unperturbed because he knows that some of the seed will fall on good soil. Verse 23, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The good soil describes the heart of the one, that, that heart that bursts into life when the word is sown, where true conversion has taken place. It is the heart of one whose allegiance has changed once and for all, the one who wants to serve and love the king. There is danger, even for us, every time that we hear this parable. You may have been a Christian for many, many years, and you can listen to this parable and say, Yes, my heart is good. I have a relationship with the Lord. And you can move on thoughtlessly. 
Good soil is soil that we cultivate again and again. We come to Christ again and again, and we come to Him asking Him to do His work. We ask the Spirit to keep cultivating, to keep plowing, to keep doing His work in us. If our hearts are good, if the soil is good in our hearts today, we pray, may, may the richness of Christ work against the enemy's desire to harden and to scar. Christian, you are called to guard your heart. Guard it. Be, as James says, a doer of the word, not a hearer only. It is yours to live in repentance, to lay open your life again and to say, there is, I, I never want there to be any parts of my life that I keep to myself that are off limits to my king. May there be no parts of my heart over which Christ does not reign. Be very careful. Do not make disobedience in any area of your life a common practice. Do not give the enemy a foothold. And Jesus says to you, pluck out your eye, you pluck it out. When he says to you, turn the other cheek, and he says to you, forgive, you forgive because you don't want to give the enemy a foothold in your life. Be very careful of allowing yourself to be discipled by the systems and the ideologies of the world. The world wants to tell you what matters most. The world wants to tell you what will give your life meaning and significance and worth and value. The enemy wants to turn your heart and your mind against the Word of God so that you would be at odds with it. Beware the compacting of the soil of your heart through endless and constant consumption of the entertainments of this world. If our hearts are good, if the soil is good, we pray, may the comfort of Christ be sweeter than the paths of least resistance. It's not long before following Jesus sets us at odds with the world around us. And maybe you do fear that a little bit. Maybe you fear the frown of the world, the rejection of your friends. May we lean today on Him and trust Him in our trials and our sufferings. The sun may be beating down hard upon you. Do not take the depth of your roots for granted. Lean on Him. Go to Him again. Trust Him in His Word. Ask for strength if you need help to do it. I know there are days where I feel like I cannot even approach the throne of grace. I'm too weak. Ask for help that you may find that help in time of need. If the soil and the of our hearts is good, we pray, may the glory of Christ outweigh the treasures of this world. Your soil may be good, but that does not mean that you are immune to the stray thorns that creep up in your heart. Jesus says it's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word, and we know none of us are immune to that. In the church, we often hear of the shamefulness of certain sins, but do we hear about the, the, do we hear warnings about living lives of compromise in the world? We sometimes just accept it as normal. We live these lives of compromise in full view of those around us. May the world see the way that the Word of God rubs up against our hearts and produces in us rejoicing through sacrifice. Though that sacrifice be hard, our giving and our denying ourselves, our taking up our crosses to follow Him. We say like Paul through it all, 
Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And He is everything to me. How is your heart before the King today? Is it warm? Is it soft? Is it receptive to His Word? I said earlier how these Parables are designed to fly under the radar as they drop their bombs in our lives. And that's certainly true of this parable. Just think of it from their perspective for a minute. He's describing to these people who had certain expectations of the kingdom. He's describing to them how the kingdom grows. And everything here seems ordinary, doesn't it? And unspectacular. This would have been shocking for those who got it. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a a farmer going into the field and sowing seeds. And what happens after the farmer sows, sows seeds? What happens? Nothing. Nothing perceptible immediately. Even after the rains come, still you see nothing. And it rains and it rains day after day until finally, eventually, if you look carefully enough, you see that little shoot starting to sprout pops its head out of the soil. No earth-shaking changes, just a little plant beginning to grow. Jesus says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now we do away today where he will return and everything will be shaken. And his kingdom comes in all of its glory. We will see our king and experience it. But today, though we wish it would be maybe grander, still he is building. He is unrelentingly building his kingdom one little seed at a time. Each plant one by one. One season of harvest after another. And all of it is beautiful and it is glorious. Each one a miracle. Every seed that bears fruit. And we learn that the kingdom Living, kingdom living is about little things. It's about faithfulness and small things. It's about a decision to trust today, to follow today, to scatter seed today. We need to let this go off as a bomb in our hearts. The fact that though he is building, he invites us into the work. Our tiny service rendered to him with the promise of fruit. 30, 60 Even a hundredfold, he says. When I was reading through that, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. And I I thought, if, if Jesus came and he preached this parable to me today, to us today, I would be tempted afterwards to pull him aside and say, Jesus, what if it was tenfold or fivefold or even just onefold? Would that be okay? And I will have missed the point. The point he's saying is, he says to, to us, how is your heart before me? Do you know that I've given you my all and I am taking all of you? That's the deal. He's taking all of us. And what a joy it is to know that our strength, will, our weakness will be made perfect in his strength. A receptive heart is a, a hopeful heart. May we believe, therefore, in the power of our king, the power of the great sower to build his kingdom. And slowly but surely, may we follow our king into this subversive kingdom life of blessing and fruit to which he has called us. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we we know that our, our, our hearts are sometimes hard and they need to be broken up. 
and thorns do appear there, there from time to time and they need to be uprooted. In some parts of our hearts there might be a, a shallowness of faith and we need our faith to be deepened. So we thank you even for the trials that strengthen us, make us bold, help us to know you more and love you more. And I, I pray, Father, for all the, the believers in this room that, Lord, that you would challenge us by this parable, that you would make us bold and know that our, our strength is not in ourselves and what we can say, our strength lies in you. We know that you are building your kingdom and we ask you again to build it here in our community. And Lord, I, I do pray for any who are here today who have that hard heart that Spurgeon described. Holy Spirit, we know, know that even now you can break their hearts with the love of a king who died on a cross to rescue and to ransom, to redeem Oh, help us to know and understand that love and to know that the calling is all of us because you have given us all of yourself. And for that, we are grateful. Amen.